Welcome to episode 69 of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. This is your host, John S. today's episode, we'll meet Petrina from Sydney, Australia. Petrina shares her story with us and we'll have a nice discussion about the steps, her experience starting a meeting in Sydney, and her feelings about unity within secular AA. And thank you so much for joining us. It's uh, great to talk to you. Thanks, John. Maybe what we'll do, uh, the general format that we kind of follow around here anyway, if we have any kind of a format, is um, if you could just kind of give us a little bit of your background, you know, talk about, you know, how you grew up, when you started having a problem with alcohol, a little bit of your, a little bit of your AA story, and then maybe a conversation will just flow from that. Would you like to do that? Okay. So um, I, I grew up, both my parents were alcoholics, and I I didn't like alcohol. I, I hated the smell of it. I hated all the, um, you know, everything that went with that and the people who used to come and visit had alcoholics on one side of the fence and another batch on the other side. Um, so it was something I never liked. Um, what was interesting, though, I used to see my parents drink and how social that was and, you know, and how that changed and people stopped coming around. And I can see, you know, how the similarities in my life, how it changed from being social to um, not very social. But anyway, having said that, I had no interest in drinking and, um, you know, I just found it really awful, the smell of it, ice ice cubes rattling in um, glasses. Um, So but at some point I remember going out with some friends and I remember we were sculling like shots of vodka in the car before we went into this club and because I didn't know what alcohol would do to me I just um, just kept drinking them really fast and by the time I got inside to the club and at this point I would, would have been under 18 mm-hmm. I was feeling fantastic and I wasn't scared, I could dance, I could talk to people, I even sat on some guy's lap which is so unusual mm-hmm. because I was so shy, so self-conscious, so scared of everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I felt fabulous. But it didn't take long after that that I was in the bathroom being sick and the world was spinning and I couldn't stand up. And then I was just led out to the car and slept in the back of the car um, for the rest of the night, um, feeling very, very, I was very ill, and then dumped on my parents' lawn um, hours later. And that was my first sort of drunken thing. And, you know, um, nothing really changed after that. I went out to drink to get drunk. Mm-hmm. And I worked around the sickness, the um, whatever. Because for me, that was just part of the deal. And that's what happens. I always had blackouts. That was normal. I thought that's happened to everyone. Yeah. I thought everyone felt like I did when they drank. I thought they got that. Um, you know, it talks about in the big book being all lit up and I thought that was me. It mm-hmm. was like the greatest feeling. I felt fantastic and a huge freedom, fear. Mostly everything sort of went away and I really, really loved it. But, you know, that over the years, that was in the 80s. They were 
the best times ever. Mm-hmm. And I think things started to happen. Like it, for me, I see it's like, a, you know, a, a phase of going from kind of like going from great to goodish and then there was hiccups and then it started to get really ugly. People who thought I was really fun and funny and started to disappear uh, and you know, didn't want me around anymore. And at some point, and of course it's a very quick general version, I ended up um, drinking at home by myself and getting drunk every night and having a hangover every day. And that that was the foundation of my life, I guess, for about eight or ten years. I just got used to it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I didn't ever, ever think that I should stop drinking. I just put a lot of effort into being able to drink successfully mm-hmm. um, and a lot of that was trying to work around hangovers. I didn't want them any. I just I was getting deathly ill from them and I was taking more and more time off work. I was having to make up stories why I can't come in. You know, I had this giant, I had this medical repertoire of all these conditions I had. I used to even act them out when I went to work, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I can't believe And I worked in the medical community. I mean, it must have been very, very clear to them what was going on. Uh, But I still, you know, I still did it. And I thought I was really good at it. We're pretty good actors, I think. I think so. But it's survival. (laughs) Like, you have to survive. Yeah, that's right. It's all about surviving. Yeah. And, um, yeah, working around. So my whole life was about drinking, not like drinking, drinking. you know, surviving when I wasn't drinking, um, how to cover things up, how to, you know, keep myself looking like things are okay. And I think I had this really steely resolve that I was never going to loosen my grip on anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think too because I've always, like, been self-supporting, uh, looking at, I've always had to look after myself financially and whatever. So the idea of, like, loosening my grip on all of that was just, terrifying doesn't mean to say it wouldn't have happened eventually i don't think there's any end to the list of rock bottoms that you can have i don't think there is a bottom mm-hmm. i think we can just continue on but anyway needless to say um my life sort of pretty much came to a standstill the rest of the world passed by people got married and or had partners and mm-hmm. bought homes or had children um pets, whatever, did career things, study, didn't study, whatever. Right. But I was like standing still and all this just passed by. Yeah. And none of those things happened. Um, I hear a lot of people talking about what they lost. Mm-hmm. And I, I, apart from, you know, there were so many sort of things you could say, dignity and so on to be lost. But as for, um, you know, things that you could, that were measurable, I didn't lose anything, and in fact, for me, it was the opposite. I didn't gain anything, and um, you know, it's it's just extraordinary. When I, I look back, it's just such a giant part of my life where nothing really happened. Yeah. I mean, of course, it's happened that I wouldn't talk about here, but you know, generally, um, my life stood still. Sure, that's that was my experience too, and I I actually kind of remember. Um, when I was uh, starting out in the program, almost resenting the people who would talk about all the things that they lost, the great jobs and the homes and the wives and all that kind of stuff, because I never could even get any of those things. And quite frankly, I was afraid at that time I never would, you know. Yes. 
Indeed, and and that was it. And yet, I I was never sort of one of these people because I remember my dad telling me when I was younger, "Oh, for God's sake, never get married and have children." And I think he was saying it in sort of a ha ha offhanded way. But I I sort of thought, okay, I won't, and um, <laughs> I never did. I still haven't. But it was still a case of, and I couldn't even work out how that would come about. Mm-hmm. I thought, how do you? Like, what happens? Do they sort of ask you to marry? Like, mm-hmm. I honestly had no idea how any of that sort of stuff happened. Yeah. But at the same time, I was a bit fearful because I didn't really know if I wanted to do that. And, in fact, you know, you couldn't drink or, you know, hide out anyway. That's that's the um, That was the other thing that wasn't appealing either. So what made you finally um, get to the point where you thought you might need help or in, or to ask for help? I think what happened for me, one of the things I knew my world was sort of closing in on me. I was starting, I, I, I could see that I was, I almost painted myself into a corner and I, I didn't do a drop to my knees, God help me arrangement. I went to the medical community and because the way it was presented to me, where I was working... One day a magazine came in, it was a, you know, healthcare magazine that came into where I was working and on the front there was a picture of a big old stone building and I thought, oh, that's nice. So I opened up the magazine to see a, an article and it had a picture of, a, you know, all these lovely parts of the property in there with a swimming pool and a craft room and but in the middle of it, of the article, it had a list of things that said, phobias, anxiety, depression, alcohol, drugs, trauma, all this kind of thing. And because I didn't see it and I looked at that and I thought that's where I need to go and I didn't, uh, it was, it, I guess it was easy for me because it didn't say, ring, it was, wasn't ringing, you're an alcoholic, um, come to our rehab even though it wasn't written for, I wouldn't have been the audience for the magazine. But for me, I thought, yes, there's something wrong. I saw a bit of alcohol. And so I rang them up and said, um, I want to come in for depression and maybe a bit of alcohol. And they were the words I used. Mm-hmm. I remember the woman saying to me, how about we look at the alcohol problem first and that? we'll the other stuff later. And I said, okay, and I think for me that was the beginning, like I wasn't resistant to something. But what got me in was when you're asking the question what, you know, made me think I might have a problem or whatever, I I was never one of these people who – who ever was going around saying sorry to everybody or apologising, um, I was the opposite. Like I would never, I was never going to give in to anything. I didn't want to own up to anything. Um, you know, my immediate response would be, no, I didn't, no, I didn't. And um, mm-hmm. and I would never have gone to anyone and asked for help. I would never admitted anything to anybody but what happened was one of the very few friends that I had left who, you know, I, I didn't really see her very often, walked into my flat one late one afternoon and normally I'd have the doors locked and there was no way anybody could see me and, and know what I was doing and she come bounding in and I remember I was really, really drunk and she didn't know and I remember just sitting there while she was talking, chatting away to me and um, and I was sitting there knowing that I wouldn't be able to speak. And I remember watching her face change as she started to realise 
you know, that I was really drunk. It was only in the afternoon. There's no one around. And I didn't even think to go, oh, I've just been with somewhere or I've done something. I just sort of sat there and and I can't really remember what happened, but she left eventually. And uh, But I remember the shame and the humiliation. Like I felt like I was being up on a stage and all the lights were shining on me. My cover mm-hmm. had been yep, blown. Yeah. And that was sort of the beginning of like my thinking. You know, I had maybe subconsciously, I guess, entertaining the thought that um, maybe alcohol has got something to do with it and it's not all about everybody else's fault. Yeah, isn't that interesting? That that seems to be a common thread among us, and it certainly was with me. That it, uh, it's that moment in time where um, I can't hide it from other people, and then I realize that I was hiding it from myself, you know, and I couldn't hide it anymore from anybody, including myself. And yeah. that that's when it gets you know frightening enough to to get help. So you went to this treatment center. Was it like a 30-day or 28-day treatment center? Yes, it was about, yeah, it's about uh, approximately three weeks. I mm-hmm. remember when I booked it, she said it's a, I don't know, say it was a 21-day program. And I said, oh, I can't come for 21 days. I, I can only, I'm, I'm working, you know, can I just come for a week or something? <laughs> And, like, obviously having no idea what, what's going on. And she said, no, you know, it's a whole thing. But... So it was, I think, I don't actually remember a lot of what happened there. I remember, like, detoxing for a few days, Mm -hmm. and I remember the second night they came around and said, will you come to a meeting? Do you want to come to meetings? And I said, okay, and I didn't even know what that meant. And I was very, uh, someone described me the other day, I was very compliant. I, I did what I was told. I wanted everyone to like me and think I was good. And also I thought, I you know, I took it seriously, even though I only had a very, I had no idea really what was to come and what it was all about. But I did what I was told. We were taken to meetings. We sat in groups. Um, and one of the, I think I remember two or three things from three weeks. One was, to stay focused, go to meetings. Mm-hmm. And the other one, which I think is the biggest understatement of all time, was prepare to feel uncomfortable. Oh, how about um, that? I know. There's no discomfort in my life when I was drinking because you can make it go away. That's right. And any little sense of discomfort, well, then I could drink or whatever. And uh, But that, you know, that was it. And we did do some step one type writing, which mm-hmm. I was surprised how how much I learnt from that, from actually writing things down, answering questions on paper because I thought, how ridiculous. You just ask me and I'll tell you the answer. But I found the actual process of writing some things down. I was actually quite confronted about how much I thought about drinking, not drinking, managing it, this, that, whatever. I They'd asked me how often do you think about drinking. I would have said, or maybe when I'm having a drink, but... You know, but that that's pretty much all I remember. And then yeah. I was, you know, back to, went home to start, you know, to go back to what I'd left. So um, I guess they when they were talking about going to meetings, were they recommending AA meetings? Yes, yes. And uh, so yes. you started going to yes. AA meetings when you got out? I did. It was the 12-step recovery program, mm-hmm. and um, which didn't mean anything to me. All I right. said, I remember when I booked in and... She said, it's a 12-step program. And I said, okay. And, you know, 
like I said, I didn't know what that meant. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was AA. I remember there was banners hanging up. Uh, you know, I, my, the first night I got home from the treatment centre, I didn't go to a meeting, but I knew I would the next day. And, um, and I did, and I tried to do, I don't know if you guys do it, but the 90 meeting in 90 right. days. they do that here. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, yes, and I tried really hard. I went to work every day. I went to a meeting every night. Um, I went a couple of times on each day. On, on Saturdays and Sundays, I often went twice. And, you know, I just did, I just did exactly what I was told. Mm-hmm. In fact, I didn't read anything that wasn't AA literature. No one told me this. I think I just did it. Uh, I was very focused. And I remember someone saying to me once, you know, it's okay to read a magazine if you want to. (laughs) That's funny. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I was. I was very focused. And, you know, I I did what I was told. Yeah. So um, when when you were first getting involved with the AA, did the God bit bother you, or, or where, how did where were you coming from at that point, um, from a belief, you know, mm. perspective? For me, I I didn't like my family wasn't religious, and particularly, and they didn't talk about it. We didn't really discuss it. I remember in my early teenage years, and this was just really to escape from the alcoholism at home, somehow I ended up by my own choosing at a at a church fellowship group on mm-hmm. a, uh, a Saturday night, and that was fun. And then there was another fellowship group, the same people, on a Friday night. I went to Wednesday. It's funny, I can't believe it. Wednesday mm-hmm. night I went to Bible study, mm-hmm. and Tuesday, I went to prayer meetings, but in all this, and I even got confirmed. How about that? <laughs> while I'm outside smoking my head off, going out with this bike <laughs> who'd only gone there to pick up um, women. And mm. um, but anyway, so I wasn't doing the, um, I wasn't sort of, I didn't think I was a mad God thing. I, it was something I was doing. It was more of a social mm-hmm. thing. And, but anyway, I, I stopped going to that at some point um you know like I said it was just a social thing but I I didn't I always had this I kind of had this sense in the way I describe it that maybe there's something going on that was as far as it went with the god or some some whatever thing floating around somewhere but that was as far as it went and it didn't play a part in my life at all. So when I came to AA and heard God and so on, I wasn't too bothered about that from what I can remember. Like I, I don't have any, but I think what seemed to be helpful to me is when people kept saying to me, it's spiritual, not religious. Yeah. And that made me feel good about that. And if anybody ever said, oh, it's religious, I'd straight away go, no, it isn't. And um, <laughs> it's... um. It's spiritual, not religious. But I did cringe and feel very uncomfortable when people would, um, when new people came in and, and people were talking about God and yeah. God and God that. And I just thought, oh, don't, please don't. You'll frighten them off. <laughs> they used to feel that way and, too, actually. Yeah. And, and they, well, they do frighten people off. And, they do, don't they? Yes, indeed. And, um, but I, you know, and I, 
accepted it. And for me, it was it was not it was unconditional. There had to be a god slash higher power arrangement. Mm-hmm. Where you don't stay stay sober, and that's how it worked. And you know, it was this: I'm not keeping myself sober, or I don't have the power to do that, which I agree with mm-hmm. now in what that means to me. But there's no. You know, I, I knew that I had to do that. And I remember, God, it's embarrassing. I even remember really trying to help people find a higher power. Right. I remember one poor new girl about, because she was clearly, when I look back now, she was an atheist. And mm-hmm. I told her just to get one of her little stuffed furry toys and pray to that, just do it, you know. Um, yes, but anyway. Uh, so how so do you feel I, today about higher power, about a higher uh, power? I'm an atheist. I identify as an atheist now, mm-hmm. and um, very happily. And it's very freeing. Yeah, I think uh, it's just fantastic. And it's like like the blinkers have come off, and the world. I've sort of looked in AA. I sort of like imagining that I've sort of actually looked up and started looking around, and everything's very, very different now. And um, so yeah, I identify as an atheist. I I often would share before I like technically came out yeah. as an atheist. I would share and say, and not thinking much about it, I would say, oh, when I came into AA, I sort of had this thing that I thought there was something out, some god thing or something. Um, and then I said, and then I progressed to an agnostic, and now I'm an atheist. And I would sort of laugh mm-hmm. and. Kept talking and not think anything of it and say, oh, but most people do it the other way around. It's interesting that Australia is, my impression is that it's a secular country, but not so much in AA from what I'm, I'm gathering. Yes, it's very true. It's extraordinary. Uh, you know, and I was thinking about this the other day. It's very, the meetings I've been going to uh, or are going to, or was always going to a very very god centered mm-hmm. and you know since i've um i guess i'll call it come out i i it's like my antenna uh, you know my god antennas are twitching every yes. time i do anyone say right. something i'm like that now too oh, yeah I'm probably yeah. more sensitive about it now than i was before yeah well i wasn't more sensitive i actually i don't think i was sensitive and mm-hmm. what Problems that um, about was about nearly eight years ago. I had a I was involved in a really bad accident, and not long after that happened, it was like the God thing just got. It was like my brain just flicked the switch, and it's like it doesn't. It it is not there, and I could not find it. I couldn't go to it. I and I was really distressed for a few years. Mm-hmm. In fact, I used to share saying it's gone away. I, don't, I was really frightened. Wow. I thought, what will happen to me? And I couldn't leave AA. Well, I wouldn't have, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't know what to do. It was terrifying for me, and I tried really hard. I would share about it. I didn't have anyone to speak to about it. Yeah. And it, it was it was really uh, yeah, it was it was very very tough. Yeah, so similar to my story too. I I, I remember, um, you know, it was probably really kind of a gradual thing uh, when I came to realize I was an atheist. But when I finally got to that conclusion, it it was um, it was frightening um, because it was you know my first thought was, well, you know, how how am I going to make AA work? 
how's this gonna how's this gonna work i mean this is all i've known for so long that has kept me sober and and everything but i've eventually come around and i'm still evolving patrina but i've gotten to the point where i've pretty much have abandoned a lot of the language so Mm. you know if someone were to ask me about a higher power i say you know i don't even use that as part of the vernacular you know people help me i get help from people but that doesn't necessarily make them a higher power so yeah i've really come a long way because i i would you know, there was a time I would say, well, my higher power is the group. And I guess that's true. But I just mm. kind of now don't even use the, the word. It's not even appropriate for me to use for me anyway. I think I think that's it. And that's a really good point. You're talking about language because my, the language that I, I had used because, I, you know, I, I just keep thinking about your, um, you know, that you had on the website, leaving my home group. Mm-hmm. That, and you know, I like, I you know, I just cried and cried and cried because I related to it so much. And yeah. thinking about, I said these, I, I spoke the language and I said all the right things, yeah. and I didn't do. And I don't know that I, I did it deliberately. I guess it, it is, you know, I guess it, I, it is the language and so on, and mm. um, and all that stuff. And I, I'm sort of still, yeah. I guess you were saying, I don't know, changing or evolving through this yeah. process. Because I'm still, you know, untangling myself from it all, but I don't want to leave. But you know, I, when I wrote that piece, yeah. that was a really emotional thing, and I, <clears throat> I went through a lot of different emotions. Um, at one time, I was just really angry when I was writing it, and there was probably different versions of it. And then there was times when I was just very sad about it, and it was just mm. kind of my way of processing what had happened. Because I think when I'm when I was in the middle of all of that as I was changing and as I was watching the group looking at me differently and me not being able to be who I used to be, it was really kind of a painful process. And I don't, I don't think I really realized that as I was going through it, but then I got to this point where I could look back, you know, having, after having some distance from that old group and I could see that, wow, we certainly have grown apart. And, and it was kind of, it was sad, you know, it was kind of painful, but then again, I had this whole new um, fellowship too. That that was nice. So, oh, thank yeah. God for that. That that's that that's been the um to, the saving grace. Sort of for me is that a secular meeting. PJ from Brookvale, I know, mm-hmm. has done a podcast with you, and Brookvale is actually very close to where I live. And when I found out about this meeting, I, it was the greatest thing ever. I thought I was going to cry when I was uh-huh. sitting there couldn't believe it and because you know it was set up like a normal AA meeting we had the banners well they had the banners hanging up and mm-hmm. it was done the same but there was the um you know opening saying we've got these hanging up we're not trying to change anything it's still AA you can interpret the steps how you are and you know it's respectful of your belief or non-belief and so on and I I just thought this is fantastic. There's no people laughing at me. There's no people shifting in their seat. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nobody coming up and tapping me on the shoulder to correct me right. or don't worry, you'll get one mm-hmm. or you'll find something or just try pretend it's nature or some, something like this. And that that was the beginning for me to, um, yeah, it was fantastic. And if it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for, you know, um, for AA beyond belief type things, um, 
and, you know, others in Australia opening meetings, knowing in America there's a lot. A friend just came back from Europe and he said there's lots of meetings over there, mm-hmm. uh, secular meetings. So that's the thing where it's like I actually have somewhere to go. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, I think it that I feel the same way. And I guess it was just that, you know, at the meetings I go to now, um, I can just I can totally be myself. I don't have to worry. I'm not, I always put it this way as I'm not walking on eggshells, you know, um, you know, being, trying to be careful with my work. I can just be myself. And that, I think that's so important for our recovery. I mean, I do kind of believe that, you know, that honesty is one of the essential ingredients for our recovery. And, um, you know, if, if we can't be honest with about who we are in meetings, it's very, very difficult for us. So that's why I think it's so essential to have that opportunity to, to do that. And, you know, I think there's going to be, um, I think that your secular AA in Australia has been growing quite a bit. Um, you've got, you've got now, um, you've got a meeting in Canberra, right? Yes. Then you've got two there now. Two there now. And then mm-hmm. you've got one, you've got what, two in Sydney? Well, I, in fact, just uh, about eight, eight weeks ago, I just opened a, um, another secular meeting. Mm-hmm. So we've got two in Sydney now. Okay. So what's your meeting like? It's, um, well, of course, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, you know, it's sort of Northern Beaches is sort of an, an area of Sydney, just a, a bit north of Sydney City. And the Brookvale meeting is probably only about, I suppose, about 10 kilometres away from this one. So it's still in the same kind of area. But so some of the people who will go to that Brookvale meeting will yeah. come to the, to this one. Um, it's yeah. called Curl Curl is the area. Uh, so I've it's been important to me to set up and run that meeting following a, like, the same sort of standard format that mm-hmm. as the Brookvale meeting mm-hmm. does. And the reason for that for me is like it's, I, I think it's really important that as far as the secular um, AA goes that we stay united and be one thing, not a, a group like all these different things that, um, you know, it can easily not be very AA-ish. I know mm-hmm. uh, some meetings choose not to hang banners and so on. I, I Personally, I don't agree with that. I think we should try and um, at the moment be one thing rather than lots of different individualised things. Mm-hmm. But so I, I pretty much follow the same, you know, format with chairman, secretary things, uh, mm-hmm. chairperson, secretary things. And, um, so yeah. So is it so an ID meeting or a speaker it's meeting? It's an ID meeting. Mm-hmm. I think for me, I like those the best, you know, what it was like, what happened, what it's like now type meetings. Uh, yes. And, you know, people can talk about the, you know, their sharing about their problems with alcoholism and how they, you know, live now without it and, and so on, how they came into AA. And also they can express their non-belief and mm-hmm. you know, how it's been for them and, and how it is now and so on. And, yes, but it's, it's you know, I think probably eight weeks. I suppose we averaged four to seven people mm-hmm. each Saturday. Well, mm-hmm. she on later this afternoon. And, you know, sunny early days and, and hopefully that will start to build up once more people know about sure. it. And I think what's important too, it's the how we advertise it at mm-hmm. other groups, 
to work on how to do that. Um, sometimes when someone's advertised these meetings or I've said it, people laugh and, yeah. you know, but I'm waiting for someone to laugh next time and I want to say, and you're welcome and I promise we won't laugh at you. Yeah. Um, right. I found that our growth at our meeting was kind of slow in the beginning. It seemed like mm-hmm. it took um, it took like about a year before we would have like 10 or 15 people on a regular basis. I, maybe right. even even took longer to have 15. Mm-hmm. I think maybe, you know, for the longest time it was like six to eight people. Um, and then um, it seemed like it was probably after a year where we really took off our growth. And and now we're pretty much kind of plateaued to where most every meeting there's about 15 people. And every once in a while it might spike up to about 25. But we've been meeting now for three years. So it's been kind of a slow, steady growth. And, you know, what happens is... Um, you know, not everybody sticks around. Not everybody comes around for, you know, all the time. So, um, but we've got now a pretty large community. We've got two groups and we've got seven meetings a week in Kansas City. Um, probably, probably, um, a couple, maybe not a couple hundred, 150, maybe something like that. People are involved in this, but you know, lots and lots have come through over the last three years. So, you know, we're pretty well known about now. And I think that's what you're going to be um, experiencing as well. That kind of, Oh, that's great. And that's, it's good to hear all that because it's, you know, it, it, I guess gives hope to how things may build up. And, Mm -hmm. and I'm very committed to, to this, Uh, you know, and as a long-term thing. And I'm doing it, of course, it's helpful to me, but, you know, one of the reasons what drives me is that is because I want AA to have a big place for, you know, atheists. Yeah. And that it can still exist within AA. Sure. But I think of this for the you know, for the for the long term, the bigger picture, and you know that we make space that there's space for atheists and to feel comfortable and yeah yeah no, I, I I agree that's 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 exactly how I kind of feel about it. Um, let's talk a little bit um, about the unity situation, and I guess you're talking about your concern about unity within the secular AA community. Yes. Yeah. What do you want? To, what do you think about that? Uh, I think I've I've been going on about this for years, mm-hmm. uh, even before any of this started. But you know, um, I guess individualistic society, and I, I and I think that's how people live now. I remember someone was described it as a a spiritual supermarket, and you know, these days you don't you could sort of pick up, gather bits and pieces, and you know. In, in in that way and uh, do your own life like that. But I'm, I'm finding, I, I worry about the unity in that different groups running, and this is within the secular thing, mm-hmm. running their, and this isn't a criticism right. at all, Just this is just like generally it's mm-hmm. not about people. But, <clears throat> but, but I think we need to be one thing mm-hmm. and try and, perhaps stick with a, a, a standard kind of format, a way that we do things mm-hmm. and so that we are, yeah, a, a one thing, not like groups of bits and pieces and people doing different things. Yeah. And 
perhaps even be in contact with each other how we're going to do stuff so that, you know, we, I guess, a united front. And I don't, in an antagonistic way, like I I don't, wouldn't agree that that's a good thing. But, yeah, to think about, for me, um, the greater good, one of a better term. Sure. So that kind of people know what to expect when they show up at a meeting. Um, yeah, there's a there's um, what I find interesting about um, the secular AA community is just how diverse it is. You know, a lot of people that aren't familiar with us would think, oh, they're all atheists and agnostics, so they all, you know, must um, they don't believe in God? They probably don't work the steps. They, you know, whatever. They, they probably just have this conception that we're all the same. But since I've been doing this podcast and I've talked to a lot of people, um, there's just a lot of variety in our experiences. You know, some people work the steps, some people don't. Some people are spiritual, some people are not. Um, You know, I I think um, here in Kansas City, what concerns me sometimes is like um, most of our meetings here are topic meetings. So, um, and generally, if I'm leading a meeting, I like the topic to be taken from some sort of literature um, so that it focuses on recovery or some issue related to recovery, you know? Um, But lately, um, it seems that there's a lot of people that just like to come up with some sort of a topic out of their head, which is fine. But I find myself sometimes at these meetings really having a hard time trying to... um, put try to make a make relate it to my recovery you know um and my concern about that i guess is in the broader aa community that if people from other groups come over they think what is this you know um yeah but as far as our group goes we you know um we just decide how we want to do our meetings um, and we, we have like, um, people volunteer to chair the meeting for like three months at a time and the chair gets to pretty much decide how they want to do it. Now we do have certain nights where we have like, um, you know, once a month we have a step meeting and then once a month we were doing a living sober meeting. Um, and then we also have a speaker meeting once a month. So there are certain nights where, you know, we're real focused about what we do. But the other nights, you never really know, you know. Um, that kind of concerns me a little bit sometimes. And then our Friday meeting, too, is kind of loosey-goosey. You never know what's going to happen there. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's I guess that's it. Because in amongst there, I was thinking, yes, it, it's, that, that's my concern sometimes about trying to steer steer everything back to why we're there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's for me about the alcoholism and so on. And, yes, like you said, we are very, very diverse and there's so much information, there's so much everything everywhere, which is fantastic. And, of course, don't want to get into all this dogma and, you know, other way. I think it's that trying to, yeah, have some sort of um, foundational, I don't know, I don't know how, I can't even think how to, like, format thing, but then, of course, the diversity, because that's one of the things I think I felt like I had my personality um, almost crushed or removed from me, uh, you know, through AA before, and now I feel like I'm just shaking that off and trying to find, you know, let my personality re-emerge. So 
you know, there's a danger of that. So no, but I, I guess it's that. Yeah, trying to keep, trying to, I suppose, keep things on topic, like what, what the, you know, our right. purpose is. Right. And you know, one of the concerns I had <clears throat> when we were first starting the group is I thought, okay, this might just turn into an atheist meeting, you know, where people just talk about yep. being an atheist, yep. you know, and I didn't want that. And I found out that really hasn't been an issue, although there have been times where. You know, especially early on in our group where, you know, there have been people who have had a bad experience with religion or maybe they've had a bad experience with AA and they get that yeah. out of their system and they talk about it a lot. And those are some of my least favorite meetings, though I understand the need <laughs> to verbalize whatever is bothering you so that you can get it out. But I also kind of fear sometimes, oh boy, what if... You know, somebody came to this one meeting and they're going to think this is what they're all like, you know, but. And that, and I guess that's it, you know, that, that, that is that thing. It's the primary purpose. In fact, though, when I first started coming to the, you know, going to the first secular meeting in the area and the other one, I, I could tell I, I was doing that. I needed to get it out and say it and so on. And I could see others did, but it seems like once that's done, it mm. does. It's sort of it gets it out of you. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's said publicly in, you know, in an AA meeting and, and everything's okay now. And, in fact, often then mm. the meetings continue on as normal and, and nobody even mentions God and, and no That's one right. worries about it wasn't mentioned either. <laughs> yeah, it's nice that our group has gotten to that point now where, I mean, we really do focus just on, you know, supporting each other and our recovery and the God thing is just something that's off the table. Um, we are different probably from your um, average AA group. Your, you know, I guess what they, what know, they call your God groups and that mm. we aren't reading from the big book. We no. don't, we don't go reading how it works. You know, people aren't telling you to pray about things, <laughs> you know, so it's different in that <laughs> respect, uh, <laughs> which I like. But, mm. And it's true, isn't it? Because that's, mm. um, you know, we're all helping each other stay sober. That That's what's happening. And, in fact, I I really, really love now that I'm open to the fact that, um, and now I how I interpret the, the steps myself without God is feels really freeing yeah. um, that other people are doing it because I struggle with how am I going to do this? Yeah. How am I going? I was going to ask you about that. How do you, how do you, um, in in a nutshell, kind of interpret the steps? Uh, so I think I, I was talking about getting from step five to step eight the other day, and um, by just, I, I guess I just see. Anyway, I won't go into the whole story. But for <laughs> me, I I just expect the God part. I um, you know, like step five, for example, admitted to myself and another human being don't mm -hmm. need god in there right. um i just pretty much remove remove it all the way through and go from step five to eight in a now i've got a i know what the caper is and and mm -hmm. how it's going to affect how i operate in the world and i can see what it is and then so i can go on from there that's all i need there mm -hmm. and so it, it's not too bad actually and i'm I'm liking hearing other people's versions of how they do it. I like the mm -hmm. Ben doing the steps. Mm -hmm. I just nodding my head furiously all the way through. <laughs> it's 
<laughs> it's fantastic. And I've done them formally with the God business. Um, mm. That was a bit yes. tricky. But I, so now I just, um, yeah, I don't know how to say it in a nutshell, but I, I just remove it and adapt yeah, it to. That's pretty much because what I I've, I've been sober for, I guess, almost six, well, I guess, I know, for almost 16 years. And over time it does become just sort of like a, a process of thinking and, and I don't know how 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 this put your steps into your life business, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like a, some kind of process thing that I, I think about yeah. anyway. Uh, and, yeah, I'm able to adapt it. I even allowed myself to do that mm-hmm. um, because of the fear of, like, for God's sake, do not change anything. Right. You know, because we'll all die or something. <laughs> and, you know, I'm – and because that's how I felt. Yeah. It is incredibly freeing to be able to think about the steps and to understand them and how you can apply them in your life in a real practical way. At least it is for me. And I'm still, like I said, I'm still evolving. I'm still constantly coming to a new understanding or or, um, way of, of approaching things. And I love it. You know, for me, that's what keeps me going. You know, it keeps it interesting. Um, you know, and I, I, I think that for a long time I was in the program and I was just kind of treading water. Um, now over the last couple of years, I have really grown as a person. And in fact, to be honest with you, I think I do a better job of implementing the the principles of the steps in my life today as a non-believer than I did when I was, you know, trying to believe or, or at least faking it until yeah, I was making it. I think that's it, isn't it? Because now <laughs> it's like, it's, you know, speaking for myself, I, I have to take responsibility now. I can't. I, I went to a um, – I also go to Al-Anon. I was sitting in an Al-Anon meeting a, a few weeks ago and the topic was step six and mm-hmm. I just thought I can't even – I didn't even know what to say. I felt ill just thinking about it. And But when I came around to sharing, I just said I, it challenges me because I'm an atheist and I go from step five to eight like this and, and mm-hmm. so on. And but one of the things I noticed when people were sharing was this complete, which I find just bizarre, is saying, "I just get God to do it, and I don't have to do anything." Yeah, I just think that is just so <clears throat> weird, and so I, I just find that extraordinarily um, bizarre because yeah. just walking around and God just what changing my behaviour or speaking for me or yeah. and. This, and it is too when people need help, um, you know, this, oh, we'll pray for you. And I think, well, stop praying. Like, just do something. Do something. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I, I, for me now, it's meaningless to, um, if someone talks about, you know, having character defects that are going to be removed or not be removed or whatever. Um, but there's the, the thing I got about step six and seven. It really, I think it came from, well, it did come from the 12 and 12, because in the big book, there's not a lot written about those two steps. But for me, I focus on the practice of character building, of building character, which for me is a positive way of looking at it, of as growing as a human being to build my character, to become, you know, a better person. And that is just going to be a lifelong a process, you know, um, and sometimes I'll make progress and sometimes I might backslide, but hopefully over time I'll become a better, you know, human being. Um, so that's kind of how I see it. Um, and that's, that's kind of the way I, I just approach those steps is it's just going to be like a lifelong process of trying to build character. 
but the bit in the main steps I'm, I'm with you it's it's those action steps are the ones that i probably focus on the most and the ones that i use in my life on a regular basis are probably the inventory steps where i you know really stop to question you know why i feel the way i feel and then um you know find some sort of action to take after i come to whatever my, that understanding of what's driving me and that helps me tremendously and and i'm not at the point where i can do it you know before uh, pre preemptively before things get crazy usually i have to have some sort of be in some sort of hot water you know before i i really start you know examining my my motives and so forth but but i do and it, and it works and it helps me so and it does doesn't it? because i i think you know the inf- I, you know doing step four and five um more than once i you know i if, you get a lot of good information from that and um see a lot of things because i can't change my behavior if i don't know what i'm changing like mm. specifically and often for me um yeah like you're saying when you're in hot water or whatever you can see or know or look at what 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 is actually driving that or what yeah. you know what why it's bothering or upsetting you and even in some circumstances i know um like one in for example for me for not speaking up at times when I need to, mm-hmm. I I know now what that does to me from mm-hmm. not. And so when I'm in a position where I have the opportunity <clears throat> to speak up or swallow it down, um, I know that if I don't speak up, the consequences of how much angry and resentful I'll be and, you know, whatever, or if I speak up, I can just completely disarm that. Yeah. And. You know, and I didn't know that that was a, a huge thing with me, but but it is good that you know, getting I like to for myself, I need to get to the root of or cause or why, mm-hmm. and um, you know, that helps me a lot. And I guess, yeah, that's a good way that you describe it of um, character building, yeah. Well, what you said, um, that's something that I came to understand this last year is that I also need to speak up sometimes um you know the one issue that i had it was all work related but i had this boss who probably didn't mean anything by it but he was just really sarcastic he was a sarcastic person and he was sarcastic to me constantly daily every day he never said anything positive it was just sarcastic and and maybe he thought he was being funny but after a while it was really wearing on me and i just i just took it as put downs and he just made me feel really bad, but I didn't, I never, I never went to him and said, Hey, you know, can you not be so sarcastic all the time? Yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't, I don't really know how to take you. I don't know if you're being serious or you're just joking or what, but I never said that. And, um, and it really affected me. Um, and I, sh- I, I wish in, in retrospect, and this is, I guess, what I need to work on is start paying attention to how I'm feeling about things and then start questioning why I feel that way, you know, earlier on. Cause I wish if I would have taken some action with him, now what he was doing, I think was wrong. Um, but I, I could have maybe things could have been a little bit different if I went and approached him and said, listen, the sarcasm thing has got to go. <laughs> yeah. But that's it though, isn't it? I think I left a really good job because I didn't speak up and I didn't feel valued, even though everything was fine. We all got on well. I loved the job and everything. And I, this is in recovery. And I, I left because I, I felt resentful 
yeah. about that. And it didn't – and I'd be walking around, you know, mumbling, I'm the lowest paid person here. All this, <laughs> <laughs> all this kind of stuff. And, you know, clearly that's not helpful. And when I left, mm-hmm. they, you know, they said I they were very happy to have me back again if uh-huh. I wanted – and all this. But I, I left and, and – I think I had the opportunity to tell them why, but I didn't. And I didn't know how to do that at mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, things could have been very different if I had. But, yeah, it's caused me a great amount of harm. And, Isn't that interesting? Mm, yeah, that's that's definitely a hard hard thing to do. Um, so yeah, so yeah, so but but you know that's that's the cool thing about this process though is we can learn that about ourselves, and that's where I guess step six and seven come in is you know that's something I'll be working on for you know mm. a lifetime probably is learning how to speak up for myself when I need to um, and set some boundaries you know where I, when I need to. So good for good that we can do that, that we can, that we have the capacity to learn that we need to do that. Um, that's good for us. So. I think so. And I think too, for me, you know, all, always with all of this business and the said character building, building character sounded better. Um, the reason for doing all of this for me is that, so I don't think picking up a drink is a good idea right. because if I'm not, you know, if I start getting crazy and staying crazy and, and whatever, eventually I can see how that would be, a you know, an option. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the things when I start feeling that discomfort. And, you know, it's not like I'm trotting around like a, you know, working the steps at every turn. Right, right exactly. <laughs> but I need, I, you know, it's it sort of when I start knowing I'm getting, I don't like how I'm feeling, Um you know, it, there is the fact that I don't like how I'm feeling, but also that the knowing that at some point if I stay like this for however long that would go on for, that I might drink again. And, yeah. you know, that's my motivations too, to, yeah. you know, try and stay on top of that sort of thing. Yeah. So winding things up, um, what do you like to do for, um, what brings you joy? What do you like to do? What, what's what's fun for you uh, in your recovery? Oh. I think I fun for me. One of my favourite things is um, food shopping. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love it. I love all the shops and all the specialty stores and cooking and all. You know, cooking and food's like really important to me. It does give me a lot of joy. Yeah. Uh, I'm a um, a uni student. I'm I'm, do, I'm a, doing a bachelor of science, and that I didn't have a very good education. So this is sort of like. You know, the last few has been a more recent mm-hmm. thing. So I'm just loving learning more and more about science things. Oh, and, isn't that fun? And that, it is fun for me. I really, really love it and enjoy it. And, um, you know, it is it is important to me. Yeah. And what else do I like to do? I, I've sort of come out of the, you know, a very long, dark period. Yeah. <laughs> So quite a few years. So it's really, in fact, you saying that there's, it, it really is just building up. What kind of things do I like to do that are enjoyable? And it's, you know, the list is um, endless, but it's trying to put all that together. But unfortunately, that's all I can tell you at the moment. Yeah. It's about food and, um, <laughs> and learning. <laughs> but it is, well, it is, it's good. <laughs> it is good. And, you know, I'm lucky I live near um, a lot of beaches, yeah. you know, it's, I guess a bit of a holiday lifestyle yeah. that we really, 
And well, I can really relate liking science. I that is that that actually has just been an, a fairly recent thing for me. Um, I guess when I actually during that time when I was coming to realize I was an atheist, I started. Um, I started getting really interested in cosmology and learning about how the universe started and, and all of this stuff. And, um, so that kind of is still a big passion of mine. I might read a book occasionally or just watching these incredible documentaries like on YouTube. I, I, I can, I can just watch some of the documentary about how the universe started over and over and over again. <laughs> More that. is best, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I know oh, I love I, it is great it's fantastic and I, I you know I love a lot of comedy stuff at the moment I I don't know there's so many things and I just love talking to others like this yeah it's really really great this is probably my greatest joy is doing these podcasts <laughs> you know? yes you see that it's fantastic I yeah it's really really great and you know I know people tell you but it, it's so so helpful to me I know other people just refer to the website listening to the podcast and you know you and Ben doing going through the steps is just fantastic that you know what I'm gonna get with Ben and tell him we're gonna have to do this again because we had no idea <laughs> we had no idea how many people would be listening to those steps and now in retrospect gosh I wish I would be a little more serious about some of them <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really, really great. I really loved it. And like I said, I thought my head would fall off. I was nodding it so much and yeah. I thought this is fantastic. Well, it's so fun. It's just so much fun. I love talking to Ben. I love meeting people from all over the world and all the hearing all the different experiences and, and kind of putting together the commonalities that we all have. And it's just it's just a really, it's been the most incredible experience of my life. It's been one of the more rewarding things I've ever done. So... Yeah. Well, thanks. So thank you for, for participating and allowing me to talk to you. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. It's lovely. It's, um, now you have to stop me talking. It's easy. <laughs> you can just turn something off. <laughs> well, you enjoy the rest of your day there. I guess for you, it's Saturday morning. And for me, it's Friday it's, night. It's Saturday morning. And in a few hours, I'll be going down to, um, yeah, help open up the secular ID meeting. Oh, good for you. Good for you. Mm -hmm. Say hello to everybody for me. I will indeed. Okay. All right. Well, you take care now, Katrina. You too. Thanks, John. Thank you for listening, everybody. We'll be back again real soon.